Uh, if you would, we're in a, a study of the book of Hebrews, and so please turn your Bibles to Hebrews. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 4, and uh, as we do each and every week, will you guys please stand for the reverence of God's Word? This is God's Word for God's people. Hebrews chapter 4. It says this, starting in verse 1, Therefore, while the promises of entering His rest still stand, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we have believed entered that rest as He has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter this rest. Although His works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. And again, in this passage, he says, they shall not enter my rest. Verse 6, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter it because of disobedience again, he appoints a certain day. Today, saying that through David so long afterwards, in the words they already quoted, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from His works, which God did from His. Verse 11, Let us therefore strive to enter the rest, so that no one may fail by the same sort of disobedience. For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from its sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him, to Him whom we must give account. Will you please pray with me? Father, thank You for this Word. Lord, it's a word that we all need. The theme of this chapter is rest, and we all need rest. Some of us need physical rest, but more importantly, we all need spiritual rest. Rest for our souls, rest for our hearts. And Lord, that rest can only be found in You. So Lord, it's my, it's my prayer that's this morning that, that each one of us uh, sit and listen attentively to, to Your Word this morning. And to see and to ask the question, do I have this rest? Do I have this peace? Do I have this salvation that is only found in Christ? And if there are those that do not know Jesus, Lord, I pray today that You would open their eyes and they would see You as the great rest. They would see You as their need for a Savior. And for us that have, Lord, and again, some on green pastures, some are in the valley, Lord, that we would look to You for the rest of our souls in difficult times, but also in joyful times. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You guys, go ahead and be seated. Well, good. I have a couple questions to ask you to start off uh, today's message, uh, and it deals with rest. How is, how, how's your ability to rest right now? How, 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 did you get any rest this past week? Do you get daily rest? How about a good night's sleep? A good night's sleep in, in kind of medical terms is you get a good eight hours a night of sleep. Are you getting that? Are you getting a good eight hours of rest, of sleep a night? Well, according to the stats, a third of you I know is probably not. 35% of all adults 
that's 18 up in the United States, report sleeping on an average less than seven hours per night. For working adults, it's, it's 32% um, report sleeping less than six hours a night. That's from 2017 to 2018, and that's actually up from 28% from 2008 and 2009. Uh, we have a problem resting. How about worry and anxiety here? Uh, when we're talking about the resting of your souls, how many, how many of you are free of worry? How many of you are free of anxiety this past week? We know ever since you know, COVID and it's just in, in general that anxiety disorders are the most um, common in the U.S., mental health problems. Forty million adults in the United States struggle and battle with worry and anxiety. That's about almost 18%, almost 20% of our population battles and cannot rest from worry and anxiety. One psychologist reported that the average high school, this, is, this, this was crazy when I read this, the average high school student today has the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the early 1950s. I thought social media and Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all that was supposed to make our lives better. More anxiety. But it's not just a modern problem. Listen to... Ecclesiastes song uh, from Solomon. He says this in Ecclesiastes 2.22. What has man from all the toil and striving of the heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. So th this rest is not a modern problem. It's not an ancient problem. It's a, it's a human problem. Humanity, you and me, we have trouble resting, whether it's physical rest or whether it's some, some kind of emotional rest, we have trouble resting. And, and, and the, the cause of that can be a number of issues in our lives. It could be a relational issue. It could be a financial issue. It could be just a worry of sickness and disease. Uh, again, in our case, again, uh, as uh, JT and Brooke, they're not getting rest because they just got a newborn, right? The, the first two nights, they're like, oh man, we're killing it. Baby's doing well. Little Evangelist's doing awesome. Night number three, hey, how'd it go last night? Oh, it was bad. <laughs> Baby was a little fussy all night long, right? And they're trying to work to get her on a little schedule. And I thought, oh man, I remember those days. But then I thought, oh, the perks of being a grandparent. I don't have to get up with her. I was slept like a baby last night, right? Could be that. Again, we have a resting problem. And the good news today is that in Hebrews 4, Hebrews 4 gives us the solution to our restlessness. Whether it's physical, whether it's emotional, whether it's spiritual. And the answer is, as we've been seeing throughout the book of Hebrews, is that Jesus is a better rest. Jesus is our rest. Our rest is, is, is not found in a, in a thing. It's found in a, it's a, in a person, in the person of Christ. He is our Sabbath rest. And that's what we find in ourselves this morning. Now the thing about Hebrews 4 and how we typically, we would rock through, uh, come on, almost line by line, verse by verse, and, and, and see this. this. Hebrews 4 is one of the most difficult chapters really in the Bible and the New Testament. Hebrews in general is one of the more difficult books next to Revelation in interpreting. And in the, the language and the, in the, in the flow of thought in Hebrews chapter 4 is, is tough to follow sometimes. And so we're going to take a look at it at a 30,000 foot view. Because even though the structure of the passage might be hard to follow, the point of the passage is clear 
as day. It is crystal clear. It's about rest and that Jesus is our rest. So let's dive in this together. First, we're going to see it in two points. The first is the promise of rest. The promise of rest. Hebrews 4.1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. So right off the bat, the author of Hebrews is is wanting to get something across to his audience. He wants to to shepherd to these people. He wants to minister to these people because he sees them. He looks at them and he sees their lives unrest. There's no rest. He sees the worry. He sees the anxiety. Remember the context in which the people who are first reading this letter, they're under severe persecution from Nero, but also from their neighbors. Hebrews 10 points out that they've been struggling and they've been suffering from their neighbors. They've been publicly embarrassed from their neighbors. Some have been thrown into prison. Last week, we looked at the warning passage in Hebrews chapter 3. Daniel did a good job unpacking the warning passages. And now they might be thinking, man, if if my forefathers didn't enter the land because of their unbelief, is that the same with us? Because we're feeling some tension. We're seeing some persecution and suffering. Did we miss the rest somewhere? The author of Hebrews sees this. He sees the intense anxiety and their inability to rest, and so he responds to them. And he responds as a good shepherd does by by pointing them to Jesus and the the promise of rest that has given to them in verse 1. We see rest in these 13 verses is mentioned at least nine times. So that's the point of Hebrews chapter 4 is God's rest. Well, what is this rest? What is this rest that's promised? Is it physical rest? Is it spiritual rest? Is it rest from being persecuted? Is it rest from suffering? Is it rest from pain? What is this rest? We're going to see that this rest is more than a, than a good night's sleep. It's more than a rest from physical rest, from suffering or persecution. In fact, it's a rest that you cannot even find in this world. It's a rest that you can't work for, you can't attain through some way. It's a supernatural rest. This is the rest that comes from outside of us in this world to us through God in Christ alone. It's a supernatural rest. And first we're going to look at the, the nature of this rest. That's the nature of it. It's a supernatural rest. Look at for me in Hebrews 4. We see it's God's rest. Look at verse 1. Therefore, since the promise of entering His rest, who's His rest? It's God's rest still stands. Verse 3, quoting Psalm 95. They shall not enter my rest. Whose rest? God's rest. Verse 5, my rest. Whose rest? God's rest. Verse 10, for whoever has entered God's rest. The rest here that we're talking about that's promised, again, is is a rest that comes from God. It's His rest. Now, hearing this, hearing this rest, it's a supernatural rest that comes from God, should remind you of another verse in the New Testament. It should trigger you in a good way, right? It should trigger you to remind yourself of Matthew 11. Matthew 11, where Jesus says, No one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Himself Jesus says, come to me, all who are labored and are heavy laden, and I will what? I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lonely in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. This is a supernatural rest that comes from God through Christ. That's what it is. It's a rest that comes from God through Christ, and it's a supernatural rest for your soul and my soul. It's a spiritual rest with implications from that extend to our physical rest. The psychologists, some psychologists say that, that we as humans, we need three things. We need three things. We need to feel clean, morally clean. We need to feel safe. 
That's two. We need to feel safe. And three, we need to have and feel significant. We need to feel morally clean. We need to feel safe and we need significant. And 1 Corinthians 6.11 says this, you were washed, you were justified, and you were sanctified by Jesus. In the gospel, this rest is met, meets those three needs. Uh, the wash means we've been cleansed. We've been given Christ's righteousness. We've been morally cleansed clean. We've been justified. That means there's no condemnation. We are safe now. We are, we are no longer an enemy of the king, but we are a child of the king and we are sanctified. We are on the path of becoming more and more like Christ, which is the ultimate significance. This spiritual rest informs and has implication on our health and our well-being today, now, in the present. It's the spiritual rest. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a supernatural rest. Now we see the scope of this supernatural rest. We see that a great theme of rest is one of the great biblical theology themes that, that, that you can trace through the story of redemption from Genesis to Revelation. It's a rest that if you believe and you are in Christ right now, you already possess this full rest, but not yet. As we say here, you have it already, but not yet. And we see that this happens in, in, in Hebrews chapter 4. Basically, this is what the author does, is he traces the, 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 the theme of rest throughout the Scripture from the beginning to the end. We see that Moses has this rest. Joshua has this rest in verse 8. And then from Joshua 400 years to David in verse 7, he has promised this rest. And then from David to the Hebrews, who he's writing right now is a thousand years. They are promised this rest. And then from the Hebrews who are reading this letter to us today is some 2,000 plus, And we have the ability of this rest. And we look for this rest in Revelation 21 and 22. That's when it will be calm. And so to the readers of this letter, again, they still thought that they had a confusion of what this rest was because they equated this rest with a, with a rest being in, a, in the promised land. They equated rest with land. There was a piece of land, Canaan, Israel, Jerusalem, the promised land. That's what we saw about Hebrews chapter 3.18, this land that was promised to Israel. They were on the precipice of entering in the promised land in chapter 3, and it says they did not enter, and they didn't enter because of unbelief. They didn't enter because of unbelief. Moses' generation. But we see in verse 8 that the, after Moses' generation, God did lead the people of Israel into the promised land. They promised way back when to Abraham. He did lead them to the promised land in rest through Joshua. Look at verse 8. It says, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath day of rest for the people of God. And so we know that, that, that Joshua took the mantle from Moses and led the people into the promised land of rest. And at the end of Joshua chapter 21, it says this, that, that after they, they defeated all of their enemies, right? They had to defeat the Canaanites, the Jebusites, uh, the termites, all those, those different ites, right? It said this in Joshua 21, it says that they had peace, they had rest on every side. All their enemies have been dealt with, and there was peace in all the other side. But not only was there peace from their enemies, but there was an abundance of them living in the promised land, of the land that flowed with milk and honey. God met their physical needs with abundance. But if that's what was meant to be fulfilled and fulfilled fully, we see verse 8 says something different. That wasn't the end goal. It says that, for if Joshua had given them rest, if it was fulfilled fully, then God would not have spoken of another day. And this is just a way to read your Bibles when we talk about promise and fulfillment, when we talk about prophecies being fulfilled, that, that there are 
number of layer or horizons of fulfillment in prophecy. I, I was just in uh, East uh, in Greeley for a meeting early in the morning, and when you're driving from the east of Greeley and you see the mountains, you basically see like almost two mountain ranges, right? But then later on in the afternoon, if you're driving about five or six and the sun's behind those mountains, all of a sudden you see like wave upon wave upon wave of layers of mountains. And this is like God's promise and when he fulfills promises and prophecies in Scripture. There's waves and waves. It starts here and there's a near fulfillment, but there's also a a further fulfillment. And so, yes, God did, did fulfill the rest for the nation of Israel by bringing them into the promised land through Joshua. But there's another day. This rest is pointing us and causes us to look to another, a greater day, and that rest is in Jesus. You see, God's rest is bigger than a piece of real estate in the Middle East. It points us to a greater rest. It points us again, as it says in verse 9, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And we know in the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 11, in Mark 2, that Jesus is the fulfillment of that Sabbath rest. Our rest is not in a Sabbath day. Our rest is in Jesus. And so we see the scope of it. Now, the scope is not only in time, but also in substance. Again, as we see here, it's not only in a land promise, but it's also in the substance of Christ. Now, this is awesome. Look at verse 4. It says, For he has somewhere (coughs) spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. As we said, this rest is one of the great themes of the Bible from the beginning to the end, and this rest is promised on page 2 of your Bibles and my Bibles. And there's an important connection that is made in understanding God's rest. The author points out that God's rest is tied to His finished work of creation. If you turn your Bibles back to Genesis chapter 2, again, page 2 of your Bibles, it says this, on the seventh day, on the seventh day it says that we read that, that God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all of His works that He had done in creation. We know here that God created, uh, from, uh, in Genesis 1, God created the world in six days. He, he filled the void. He formed the earth and the world in six days. And after each day, in, in, in days one through six, at the end of their day, there was a beginning and there was a completion. And at the end of every day, it, re, it ends with this refrain. And then there was evening and then there was morning. But on the seventh day, that refrain is not there. Why? Because God had finished all of His work And it says that He made it holy. Why? Because God rested. Why that is so important is that God worked and God rested. And on the seventh day, there is no end. There is no evening and there is no morning. In other words, God's rest has no end. Ever since day seven, God has been resting and has passed that rest on to His people throughout the ages. God's work, as one said, work has been finished since the creation of the world. He is God, and currently, right now, He is at rest. So how do we do that? I like to think of God that builds the house of creation. And after you built this incredible house of creation, of the land, of the animals, of you and me, and, and all that, it, it, it says He rested. Now God is enjoying what He built. He's enjoying the house and all that is. Now sure, there needs to be a little bit of maintenance on the house every now and then. God is not idle. He's still working. But part of His working is enjoying the rest that He has in creation. Now we know that that rest didn't last long with Adam and Eve for for humanity because they 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 responded by sinning. 
they responded by doubting God's promises and, and, and believing the enemy, and, and it caused the world to go in a downward spiral into spiritual and physical unrest. And, and, and then they found out there was nothing they could do to bring it back to attain it on their own merit. They had it, what they had in the garden, they lost it. But this is God's good news that God sent a second Adam, Jesus. And Jesus came and worked and then rested. Jesus came on our behalf and he, and he lived the perfect life. He was our substitute. He lived the perfect life in our place. He, he was perfectly obedient to God the Father, fulfilled all that needed to be fulfilled. Then He gave up His life on the cross. He, he died on the cross for you and me and our sin. And then He rose again three days later, reclaiming for us that rest for all those who believe. Remember when we, we started back in Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 1, it says this in Hebrews 1.3, that after Jesus what? Made purification for sin, what did He do? He sat down at the right hand of God. He rested. It was full. It was complete. Way back when, when God created. When it says He rested, God created in Genesis chapter 2, that word uh, rested means that he, he stopped from working. He created. He was satisfied. Creation was complete. Here we see the same thing. Salvation was worked for by Christ, through Christ on our behalf, and now is complete. So He sat down. No more work needs to be done. So God worked in creation, then rested. Christ worked in salvation, then rested. And then nowhere in Hebrews or any other place in the Bible does it command us to work out our salvation or to work for our salvation. It tells us that there's a promise that has been completed in Christ. And then as humans, you and I can enter this rest, this divine rest, this salvation, this security, this peace, this perfect, accomplished, total rest. The, the rest that comes upon the completion of creation and redemption. The rest that has met all the goals, all the requirements, all the benchmarks. And now what we do with it is we enjoy it. We rest in it. You see, again, Joshua led Israel to a physical rest where there were no enemies. They lived to a, a physical abundance of land filling with milk and honey and great food and all the trappings. But that pointed us to a greater Joshua. Jesus is a greater Joshua because He, he saved us and gave us a better rest. He saved us from our greatest enemy, sin, death, and Satan. And now our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And one day we will enjoy in heaven, in the new heaven, in the new earth, fully all of the abundance that that brings. There'll be no more sickness. There'll be no more suffering. There'll be more, no more death. We will be enjoying all the joy, the love, and the grace of the mercy of the risen Savior right there together. Jesus is a better rest. Jesus is our Sabbath. It's a supernatural and all-encompassing rest. And the question is, do you have that? Do you have that this morning? Which leads us to our second point. How to procure God's rest. How do we get it? How do we experience it? Today, now, 2021. Again, Hebrews 4.1 says this, Therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For the good news, the word good news there is gospel, came to us, the church, just as it came to them, Israel, but the message that they had heard did not benefit them, Israel, because they were not united by faith. Israel didn't believe in the good news. Remember, it says they did unbelief in 3.18 of Hebrews. With those who listen, though, the ones who listen and believe, verse 3 says, for we who have believed enter that rest. 
So how do you enter that rest? How do you enter God's supernatural rest, salvation, peace, security, ultimate joy? We receive it by believing in the good news. By believing in Jesus. By believing in the Gospel. Just like Moses, just like Joshua, just like David, just like the audience of this book of Hebrews, it's through belief in Jesus and His life, His death, His resurrection. You see, when he talks about Moses and Joshua and David, those are the Old Testament saints. And it's kind of weird that it says in verse 2 that for the good news of the gospel came to us, the church, just like to them. You're thinking like, did, did, did they? I don't recall any message about like John 3.16 in the Bible talking about Jesus, Son of God, repenting of your sins and trusting Him. But you see the themes in there. And an interesting verse for you to study would be Galatians 3.8 because it talks about that. Again, we don't have time, but, but, but they entered this rest. And again, we look, at, we look at Hebrews 3 and we're like, wait a second. Moses didn't enter the promised land. Joshua did. Did Moses ever enter the promised land? He did. Remember at the Mount of Transfiguration, he was there. He entered there with Jesus. So he did. And that was by faith. The Old Testament saints responded by the good news, by believing in the Messiah to come. And then us in the new covenant, the Hebrews in us, we believe in the Messiah who had came in Jesus. We believe in what Jesus has worked and accomplished on our behalf. That's how we receive this rest, this salvation. We see the judgment or wrath of not entering or receiving God's rest. We see that in verses 3, verse 5, and verse 6 is because of their unbelief. And the judgment is there's no rest. Your soul gets no rest if you do not believe. And so the simple truth is when you believe in Jesus, you receive God's rest in all that that encompasses. And when you don't do that, when you disbelieve or you have unbelief, you receive unrest. That will be, that's what's going to characterize your life. It's going to be a life of unrest. Now when we talk about believing, we need to find what that means in today's day and age because in today's day and age, there's a thing called easy believism. Easy believism. There's a lot of people out there who claim they're a Christian because 20 years ago, you know, at youth camp, they, they, they said a prayer and they threw their sins in the fire and they have, their life hasn't changed since. Or they, they walked down out at a church service or at a revival, but their life hasn't changed. Or those priesters, right? Those priesters, they think they're fine. Those guys that just come on Christmas and Easter, right? And they think they've checked that box and they think, oh yeah, we're good. But their life hasn't changed. It hasn't impacted their life. They still go on living like they don't know Jesus. R.C. Sproul really helped me understand this early 30 plus years ago when he said this. And he agrees with the reformers. He was talking about reformers. Like when they were talking and working through justification by faith in the 16th century, he says that this is probably the greatest time where people thought about faith and what it was because of they were, they were combating the Catholic Church and justification by faith. And they said the reformers came up with three kind of aspects of saving faith. These three things must be uh, in saving faith to be saving faith. The first is you've got to know something about Jesus. That's number one. You got to know the, the content, the, the data. You got to know the, the gospel. What is the gospel? You have to know at least what 1 Corinthians 15 says that this is what Paul said. I wrote of first importance. It's the gospel. You have to know that we have sinned and rebelled against God. You have to know that God sent his son Jesus again to live the perfect life in your place and my place. Uh, to be that substitute on the cross, that He died on the cross for our sins, that He was buried and that He rose again three days later, and now He rules and reigns. You have to believe that. I, I, I pulled up a, uh, on YouTube, this kind of actually popped in my 
YouTube uh, page, and it had a, a famous actor, and it says, believes in God. And everyone was like, man, this is awesome. He believes in God. Isn't that great? And I listened to it, and it was an eight-minute segment. He says, yeah, he believed in God, but you didn't know who, what God he believed in. Was it the Mormon God? Was it, was it the God of the Muslim faith, Allah? Was it one of the Hindu gods? He just said, God, what, what, what God do you believe in? You have to know something about that. You have to know the content of at least the gospel to be saved. But just knowing the gospel, just knowing it intellectually, isn't enough for saving faith. You have to assent to it. You have to uh, uh, have a conviction that this is true. That the gospel is true. That, that what Jesus accomplished was true. You have to, you have to assent to that. It has to be a conviction for you. But not only does that save you, because there's millions of people that know something about Christianity and believe it's true, but it still doesn't, they don't believe in saving faith. Finally, what you need to do is you, know, you need to know the facts. You need to have the conviction that is true, but also you need to trust it. You need to trust it. You need to embrace the, the life, the death, and resurrection. You need to come under Him as Lord and Savior. You need to follow Him. You need to give Him your heart, your mind, and your soul. You need to submit your lives to the, to the truth of the, the gospel. And when you do that, something happens. Your life is changed. The things that you used to hate, you now love. And the things that you used to love, you now hate. There's change. So true saving faith, believing faith that we're talking about in Hebrews 13 that's going to give you this rest is that you have to know the gospel. You have to affirm the gospel and the convictions that it's true and they have to entrust it. You have to bring your lives underneath the gospel. It has to become personal to you. And this kind of believing faith will then change you into Christ's likeness. It's what Martin Luther said. It's like, we're saved by grace alone through faith alone, but our faith is never alone. Something precedes that. And we'll look at that in Hebrews chapter 11. It says over and over again, by faith, Abel gave a better sacrifice. By faith, Abraham believed God and moved his family. By faith, many conquered kingdoms. By faith, many, uh, the lion's mouth was, sh- was shut. True saving faith does something to you and to me. It changes our heart and it gives us a new trajectory. It gives us new passions. It gives us a new trajectory on life. This is how Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, he said, work out your salvation. You believe this and then you have to work out. You become more and more like Christ. It doesn't say work for, or you already have it. Work it out with fear and trembling for us, God, who's worked in you. And so this morning, if you don't have that insurance of the gospel, maybe you've just been coming to church, checking the box. Maybe, you know, you're, you're just a... a uh, a kid of, a, of a, you know, some parents that come here and you haven't taken it on your own. David says in verse 7, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Believe. You know the gospel. You know it's true. And now you believe by putting yourself and entrusting your life in the hands of Jesus. Don't be like the nation of Israel who's on the doorstep of the promised land but disobeyed through unbelief. Do not trust your own behaviors, your own efforts to try to earn God's favor. Believe in Jesus. Believe in what He has done for you. Believe the Gospel. He is our rest. That's how we get it. Repent of your sins and trust in Christ. Now I want to quickly touch base on something. I want to make this really, really practical because some of you right now are fighting this fight of faith. Some of you right now are, are, are fighting um, unbelief maybe. 
You're fighting doubts. That's what you're experiencing right now. You're like, I believe in the gospel, but I'm, but I'm hurting. I'm hurting. So I want to quickly touch on something because all of us in here can struggle with this. All of us in here can struggle with doubt. All of us in here can struggle with unbelief. I think this is one of the main reasons why we sin, because we don't believe God's Word, right? It's one of the reasons why we, we sin. We, we believe that the world or the flesh offers us something better, and we disbelieve the promises of God. So I want to do a, uh, this morning is put your feet on solid ground, to put my feet on sol- solid ground. Because all of us, at some point, will waver, will doubt, will question our faith. And I want you to turn your attention to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9 preached on this a number of years ago and went through Mark, but this was one of those aha, eye-opening passages that was just a bomb to my soul. We know this, this in Mark chapter 9, it's a man who brings his son. His son has been since birth, have been kind of demon-possessed and struggling to the point where he, he's trying to harm himself, trying to kill himself. The, the father just doesn't know what to do. He loves his son. He sees his son hurting. And he just doesn't know what to do. But he believes in Jesus, and that's why he brings him to Jesus. That's the summary of the story. In Mark 9.22, it says this. And Jesus asked him, how, you know, how often does he do this? And he's like, he does it almost daily. He casts himself into the fire, into the water to destroy him. And then the, the Father says this to Jesus. And, say, and ask yourself if you've ever said this to, to Christ in some form or fashion. But if you can do anything, Jesus, have compassion on us who help us. Have you, have you ever asked, that, asked yourself that question? Have you ever been in a in a place where your, your faith has been wavering, and you're like, Jesus, if you can do something, and you know He's the King of kings, you know He's all-powerful, you know He spoke in this world, came into existence, you know He knitted you in your, father's, in your, father, in your mother's womb. Holy cow. Some people in there crazy, yeah, and that's a whole other ball of wax. All right. But you're wavering. Have you ever, have you ever questioned God? I have. And Jesus said to him, verse 23, if you can. He's like saying, don't you know who I am? If I can, all things are possible for the one who, what? Believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. Have you ever been there before? Are you there right now. I believe, but help me in my unbelief. This man, just like me, just like you, you have no doubt that Christ is who he said he is. We, we, we believe that Christ is God in human flesh and he came down to save us. And he's our savior. He is our Lord. We believe that what he's accomplished for us. That's why we come to him. But just like this father, sometimes trusting in the power and the promises of God and Jesus can be hard because of the situations that we walk through. Sometimes my faith is imperfect. Sometimes your faith is imperfect. Sometimes I can doubt. I can question the Lord. Sometimes, like I said, I can say to Jesus, if you are able, have you ever been there? Are you there now? This is where the Holy Spirit just has us run to one of the most famous passages in all the Bible in Hebrews chapter 4, 11 through 13. 
If you are there now, we run to God's Word. We run to God's Word. Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from its sight, but are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him who must give account. When, when I walk through those valleys of doubt, of unbelief, and again, the unbelief is not who who Christ says is our Savior, but it's the, it's, it's the promises that we, we, we doubt. When, when I walk through that, when I'm battling to believe God and His promises, I'm struggling to work out my salvation. I'm asking like, what's up, Lord? Wh- where are you? Why are you letting this happen? You, you, you seem to be idle. I need you to show up in a big way right now. When I get there, I'm reminded the Spirit directs me to His Word. It directs me to His Word because His Word is like, it's like a, it, it cuts like a scalpel in the hands of a, of a well-skilled surgeon. And it gets down to the, the core depths of my soul, my heart, my concerns, my doubts, my unbelief, and He answers them. He meets me there. He meets you there through His Word informed and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And immediately... one of the first places He takes me and reminds me, it's of the Gospel. It's of the Gospel. It's that Jesus has made purification from my sin. Therefore, in the chaos of living in a Genesis 3 world where there is sin, where there is sickness, where there is death, my soul can have rest. And it's not in my ability, but it's in Him and what He has done. It takes me back to the Gospel because what this does, it, it takes me back to what an argument called the greater to the lesser. If God has taken care of my greatest need, the need to be forgiven of my sin, the need to be forgiven of my rebellion to the Lord, if He's taken care of that greatest need, if He's overcome that greatest trial, how much more is He going to help me overcome these other smaller trials that I'm in? He's going to care for me in those as well. Romans 8.31 says, What shall we say to these things if God is for us? And right now, you need to hear this. If God is for us, you can be against us. If you're in a valley right now, and you're, and you're, you're struggling to believe the promises of God, He's on your side. He cares for you. He's there. Even though you might not fully understand what or why, it's the truth of the Gospel that give me security, that gives me a peace, that gives my soul rest. And it gives your soul rest. This was in, in my greatest need so far in life. It's when my mom, Barbara Santini, passed away on Christmas Eve when I was a junior in college. Where the majority of the world, well, at least in the United States, or even the world, is celebrating the risen Lord, and they're 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 they're, they're you know they're at the parties, they're enjoying some good food, they're enjoying some good beverages, they're enjoying good company, they're they're opening presents. I get a call two hours later, my mom passed away at a at a party. She had an allergic reaction to some nutmeg in a in a in a salad, and on the way that my dad was driving to the hospital, she passed away junior in high school. And I had all kinds of unbelief. I had all kinds of doubts swirling in my heart that that evening. 
God, where are you? If you're good, how can you take, you know, my mom from me? She met Rita, which was cool, but she didn't, which is my wife, but she didn't get to know my kids. She would have been an awesome grandma. All these why questions. Have you been there? Are you there now? Are you battling now? I cried out, Lord, I believe. I believe in who you say you are. You're the King of Kings. You're the Lord of Lords. You're the, the Savior. But help in my unbelief. And it was God's goodness through the Holy Spirit, through His Word, that comforted my soul. Still hard, obviously. But there's a comfort there. There's a rest there. And part of the rest is that she knew Jesus, and so I knew she was in heaven, didn't want to come back. She wanted me to wait for me to go to be with her. But it was in God's Word that my soul found rest. And not just rest intellectually, but I felt it experientially. I felt the passage in Philippians 4 where it says, the peace or the rest of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind. So I had this incredible turmoil happening. I was incredibly devastated and weeping and crying at one minute. Then the next minute I was like rejoicing and happy that my mom passed away. And you're like, what? But I was rejoicing and happy because I knew she was in heaven. She's not in any pain. And this time is just a short time. It's just a dash for compared to eternity. And I would see her one day again. Have you ever been there? Are you there now? Do you need rest this morning? Well, there's supernatural rest available to you today. And it only comes through Jesus. It only comes being informed by His Word. So dive in. Ask the Holy Spirit to use His Word to let you see that Christ has already overcome your greatest need. That He's, he's, he's seen you as an enemy. And now He calls you His child because you have repented and trusted in Him. You have believed. He now sees you no longer as a sinner, but He sees you as a saint. Holy. Pure. He is proud of you regardless of what you did last night and regardless if you have doubts this morning. Because again, our security doesn't, isn't determined by what we do, but it's what He has done for us. And that's where our hope lies. It's not how hard we hold on to Christ, but it's how hard He holds on to us. And the promise is that nothing can snatch us out of His hand. Do you have this rest this morning? Do you need this rest this morning? We see, we end with this in Hebrews chapter 4. It says in 4.11, he says, let us strive to enter that rest. And you're like, it's like Aaron, you just said, we don't strive, we don't work to enter this rest. What, what does this mean, strive to enter this rest? Well, the striving isn't read our Bibles more, or making you know, sure our attendance is perfect at Sunday gatherings, or you're giving consistently. We don't, we don't look at our identity. We don't look at our significance through works righteousness. Our striving, what it means to say, let us strive. That striving is belief. We strive in believing in who Christ is and what His promises are for us. That's what we strive. We strive 
for belief in what Christ has worked out for us. That's where we go to. So it's Christ's work. We believe in what Christ has done for us. And then those things that I just mentioned don't become a, a discipline of works or works righteousness, but they become a discipline of grace. We want to do those things now because we, we see who Christ and what Christ has done for us. And we do them out of obedience and out of joy. This is what Hebrews 4 is all about. It's about this supernatural rest that is available to you and to me right now this morning. I just want to sum up how one pastor summed it up. He said this. He said this rest is summed up like this. It's the soul's sigh of joyful relief and satisfaction that you have been freed from sin, death, and sickness through the work of Jesus. It's the soul's sigh of joyful relief and satisfaction. I pray that you know that rest right now. And I pray that if you are going through the valley of the shadow of death, that you, by the Spirit, turn and look and dive into the Word. But not only the Word, also community. This is why we need one another. Just like Moses needed Aaron and her to hold up his arms during the battle, we need one another to hold up one another's arms when we're walking through the battle. Because one day, you're going to be holding up my arms. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank You for this Word. Lord, it's a simple prayer this morning. It's the prayer that everyone in this room as they walk out the doors knows the supernatural rest of God in Christ. And for those that are, again, on green pastures, Amen. God is a good Father who gives good gifts. And we rest in those good gifts. And if there's anyone in here that's, that's, that's walking again through the valley of shadow of death, Lord, I pray that they would fear no evil because they understand that You are right there with them with Your rod and Your staff to comfort them. And I pray that them, that I, would again turn to Your Word and let Your Spirit use Your Word to bring us peace and to bring us rest. And Lord, this, 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 this longs for us to look forward to the day when You come back and you will, you will put an end to all this sin, sickness, and death. And we will be with You for eternity and for those loved ones that we have lost. And we will be eating with them. We will be rejoicing with them for eternity. Lord, that is our only hope. And so I pray that everyone in here turns to You and to Your Word this morning for that peace, for that security, for that salvation, for that rest. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.